Church family, if you have your copy of God's Word, would you turn to about the fourth page, which will be Genesis chapter 1, and I want you to find verse 27. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Several weeks ago, I announced that I was going to take Mother's Day and Father's Day and do two very important messages from God's Word to answer two very simple yet very important questions. What is a woman and what is a man? For those of you who are guests of ours, and I know that we have many, I've received word from our parking lot team that not only did you come, you brought every vehicle in your yard with you this morning. (laughs) I want you to know we're so grateful. We're so grateful for the number of people that are here each and every week, and it's an honor to encourage you for just a few moments. But if you come back, and if you don't have a church family, and you consider yourself a guest, it would be our desire for you to come back. What you would find is that the week in, week out pattern of our preaching ministry is to take a book of the Bible and to walk through it verse by verse, line by line. It's called biblical exposition, and I believe it is the most faithful way to consistently feed the church the Word. It also protects the church from being built on the wisdom of any individual person or personality, but rather for us all to submit to God's Word. Yet I have the honor of being your shepherd, and there are times where the Lord presses on me the need to speak to an issue that is on our hearts. It's in our headlines. It is a public debate. And there are times occasionally where I will take the liberty you've extended to me and I will not deal with one particular passage, but I will survey the whole of Scripture in order to help you and I have a clear understanding of something that is true in God's Word. That's what I'd like to do this morning. So if you're new to Church at the Mill, this is a bit different. If you are someone who's consistently a part of our church, You will not see me walk through one passage, verse by verse, line by line today, but it is because I want to make sure we take into account the whole measure of what God has to say to answer a very timely question. It is a simple one. What is a woman? What is a woman? I grew up, I was born in the late 70s, 1977 to be specific, so I am a child of the 80s. And as a child of the 80s, I was told if I wanted biceps, I needed to eat my Wheaties. And one of the images I remember on the Wheaties box sitting at the breakfast table when I was growing up was an incredible decathlete named Bruce Jenner. He was celebrated winning the gold medal The decathlon really measures the totality of someone's athletic ability. You don't just play around with the decathlon. You have to be incredibly strong, incredibly agile, incredibly fast. And I remember looking at that cereal box thinking, my goodness, that is a man. And then in June of 2015, Bruce Jenner came out and said that he is now a woman and he is to be called Caitlin. And in modern day terms, that to me really marked the modern day war on womanhood. What we find is that a month later after he announced, ESPN awarded him the Author Ash Courage Award at the ESPYs because he had declared himself to be a woman, going by the name of Caitlin. 
Just a year later, right up the road, due to some local legislation that the city of Charlotte passed, the North Carolina legislature passed what became known as the bathroom bill, requiring people to go into the bathroom that matches their biological sex in the thinking that this would protect young women and women of all ages in the privacy of their restroom. And that set off a firestorm as well. But remember, that's six years ago now. And then since then, we've seen an onslaught of effort to whittle away at the definition of a woman. Items like drag queen reading hours at public libraries, the pronoun changes, which are now becoming a part of academia and the corporate world where people's email signature identifies to you the pronouns they prefer that you use. And then, of course, the debate of men competing in women's sports and what that looks like. And then, sadly, the one that I think turns most of our stomachs is the idea of parents and people who put themselves out as medical professionals advocating for the transition of children from one gender to another using medication and in extreme situations, even surgery. It is a travesty. Now, when we think about this subject, what we cannot do is get ourselves in a micro-bubble of people who identify as evangelical conservative Christians and pick out all these situations and decide the best way to spend Mother's Day is to talk about those who would oppose the gospel. That doesn't edify the church. But two incidents recently caught my heart I'm watching my son become a pastor. He's expressed a call to ministry. He's young. He has a lot to learn. But as he develops that heart, he and I have a lot of conversations of what that looks like. And when you have a pastor's heart, you react the same way everybody else does. I was a dude long before I was a rev. You react the same way other people do, but then the Spirit catches you, and your heart is broken for people, and you think about their need for the gospel. And there were two examples of this recently. I don't have to tell you who Dylan Mulvaney is. You know, unless you have your head in the sand. I want you to listen to this quote that Dylan said recently. He's the man who is pretending to be a girl. The trans community has created a term that I do not accept. Men are men and women are women. People can pretend to be what they're not. But this is a young man who is pretending to be a girl. And this is what he said. I'm going to say something that might make people feel a little bit uncomfortable, Mulvaney told the crowd at the Rockefeller Center in New York. I'm trying really hard to maintain a relationship with God. Mulvaney continued, I don't think he made a mistake with me. I would agree with Mulvaney on that. And that maybe one day I will actually be grateful for being trans. I would, of course, disagree with that. That this isn't some curse. It actually is, but not just on Mulvaney, on all of us. It's called sin, and sin leads to confusion. But it's just a different path to the same destination. Jesus said he and he alone is the path. There is no other path. So no matter what your sexuality is, no matter what your preferred gender identity is, 
Only one person goes to heaven, and that's a person who's covered by the blood of the cross of Christ. You have to be saved. You have to be born again. That's not what I believe. It's not what our church believes because we believe it. It's what Jesus said. That's why we believe it. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. But here's the fascinating thing about a quote like that. There are some within our own community who are so visceral in their anger toward people who are lost and confused, they would miss the obvious. He's admitting to you and me that he's not an atheist. He's not an atheist. He's not attempting to live life with a secular worldview. If you are an atheist, if you reject deity, if you reject the existence of God, then you are left with only one worldview. You then have to believe we are the result of a cosmic explosion, a big bang, and we are nothing more than highly evolved apes doing the best that we can. And the moment that you believe that, then morality becomes completely up to the eyes of the beholder. You become very relativistic in your morality. Whatever works for you works for me to the degree that it does not offend me. But that's not the worldview he's articulating. He's articulating a worldview that is acknowledging a God in heaven, yet trying to redefine how you know him. But the pastor in me was heartbroken because somewhere beneath the layers of confusion and complexity, there is this desire in him to know or to be known by God. With this on my mind, I was literally driving down the interstate recently and saw a billboard many of you have seen. This is a billboard in South Carolina specifically, paid for by the AFFA, which stands for, not the FFA, I got a jacket from the FFA, but the AFFA, which stands for the Alliance for Full Acceptance. And this is the billboard they chose to put up. Rejoice, God loves trans kids. Now, there are some who take offense to this billboard. I take offense to the worldview it's promoting. It does not match my worldview. But those on the other side of my worldview might say, well, you conservative Christians, you would think this is not true. I would actually submit that I don't think it's true, but not because of the reason they may assume I think it's not true. I would actually affirm with them, rejoice, God loves all kids. God loves Every person, I seem to remember a Sunday school teacher teaching me red and yellow, black and white. All are precious in his sight. What I would disagree with is the word trans. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. There are young people deeply confused about their gender, but there's no such thing as a young person who can change their gender. You can change your feelings. You cannot change your gender. And so when I read billboards like this and I listen to people like Dylan Mulvaney talk about desiring a relationship with God, it reminds me to remind you that if we're serious about being salt and light as Christ followers, number one, we do not attack people because of their behaviors and their beliefs. There's no room in a Christ follower's life to hate or condemn someone because of what they believe or how they live. We don't have any New Testament instruction that tells you and I that we are to go attack people and bring pain and sorrow into their life because of a lifestyle choice, a worldview, or their need for Christ. We don't attack people. 
But secondly, we don't affirm everyone's beliefs and behaviors. There will not be acceptance and affirmation of any lifestyle or any decision that does not line up with the Word of God in any person's life who is committed to Christ. This is not only a journey outward, it's a journey inward. If anything bubbles up in my heart that does not line up with the will and the Word of God, which does because I am a sinner saved by grace, I can't affirm that. I can't affirm my behavior or my beliefs or my thoughts or my words if they do not match the Scriptures and the Savior that has given them to us. So we don't attack, but we don't affirm. And this is where my attention comes to you. We also don't assume that the generation we're raising understand the teaching of God's Word. We keep establishing. We keep teaching. I'm proud of my God's design for creation. I'm proud of how God made you and I in his image. This is why the church is especially vulnerable to individuals who would not reject Christianity, but rather redefine the Christ of Christianity. Turn him into something that the scripture does not bear out. Make him nothing more than a grandfather figure in the sky who wants you to find your truth and your happiness. This is not the God of the Bible. So we don't attack. I'm not angry or mad at Dylan Mulvaney. I'm not angry or mad at any individual who identifies as trans. I have no ill will toward any person, no matter the lifestyle they may choose to live. I find myself deeply grateful that God found me in my sin and saved me from it and has given me the hope and the life of Christ. And so I'm not angry at the lifestyle of other people. Now, I think you and I as parents and as a church ought to never say that our compassion for others means we compromise what we allow our children to be indoctrinated with. No, 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 no. You can come at me with any worldview or any belief that you want. You can come to me and express your opinions and your beliefs and your desires. You can disagree with me, and that's fine. I'm an adult. My faith is established. To the best of my ability, I'm trying to walk with the Lord. You're not going to come at my children with a lot of lies that will hurt their hearts as they sort out what it means to follow the Lord Jesus. We don't sign young men up for the military day one and day two, parachute them behind enemy lines. No, we take them to boot camp and we train them and we feed them and we give them the weapons of war they need and then we release them under the care of sergeants and majors and generals who will guide them into battle. So mom and dad, there is a difference between being kind and compassionate and loving and not moving an inch off what you allow your children to be exposed to so that you and the church you're a part of can help them develop their faith at age-appropriate increments so that as they form their worldview, it is informed by the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the Savior who is God working in and through you. Which is why I think it's time for the church to not be silent on this subject. What in the world is a woman? What is she physically? What is she spiritually? What is she sexually? What is she maternally? What is she missionally? What is she relationally? I want to give you six statements on what a woman is according to the Word of God And I'll start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Statement number one. A woman physically 
is an adult female made in the image of God. Right out of the gates in chapter 1 and the 27th chapter, when God is creating creation, he rests, he says it is good, and then he decides to make man in his own image. The Bible says in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and on every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And here it comes. So God created man in his own image. Now, ladies, I recognize that in the name of Christ, many people misconstrued the scriptures to try to teach that God made man and then somehow made woman less than man. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, so God created man in his own image. But we know the word man in the first phrase is a relationship to mankind because look at the next phrase. In the image God created him, male and female, he created them. So gender is not a social construct. Let me say that again. Gender is not a social construct. God has created man in his image, male and female. He did this in the animal world as well. Male and female. Non-binary is non-biblical. Non-binary is non-biblical. People can choose to identify as non-binary. They can say they, them, or whatever pronoun is supposed to be appropriate or correct. But the Bible clearly established that God, who could have done it any way he wanted to, established mankind as male and female. And when we think about that in relation to a woman, I like what one Christian author did with his science background. Here's a great definition. A woman is an adult human female. Women possess two X chromosomes and are typically capable of conception, pregnancy, and giving birth from puberty until menopause. Female anatomy differs completely from the male. A woman may undergo a hysterectomy, a mastectomy, uh, a, a mastectomy or yet her and yet her biological, genetic, hormonal, and chromosomal sex is intact. She remains in every sense a woman. This is the biblical and scientific and biological definition of a woman up until about five minutes ago in our culture. Okay? So this is what a woman is. Now, ladies, this is the beautiful thing. In your womanhood... There are aspects of the glory of God that your femininity reflect that are not reflected more fully in the masculinity of men. I think about the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, in talking about the Lord, said, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. So Isaiah is prophesying about God's comfort over his people. And he could have chosen any metaphor and any analogy he wanted. But when God was looking for a metaphor and analogy for the most nurturing, caring source from human relationship to another human, he chose the love and the nurturing care of a precious woman in the office of a mother. Now, most of you did not come into the room this morning. Most of you are not tuning in prepared to disagree with this. But this is what I would say as your shepherd and pastor. Do not give an inch on it. Do not move off of it. People can mutilate their bodies. People can take all kinds of medication. People can choose to dress and appear in different ways. People are men and women 
from the womb, and there is no biblical justification for a separation between your biological sex and your gender, gender identity. Now, what does that do for the church in a world of people who are confused? Well, again, up until very recently, it was called by the medical and psychological community, psychiatric community, gender dysphoria. There are people, statistically, there's someone sitting in this service who has or, in, or is currently struggling with their gender identity or their sexual lifestyle, sexual identification, sexual preferences, sexual tendencies, sexual desires. What is the church to do to that? The church is to run headlong to that with the gospel. Let me just speak to you. If you or you know someone who has ever struggled with their gender identity, they've struggled in finding their place inside of the gender that God created them from their womb, so obvious that it's placed on birth certificates, or at least it used to be. When someone deals with that confusion, the good news of the hope of Christ is that they're not alone in their confusion. There's not a person in this room who's not dealt with the confusion that sin brings into our lives. Now, many of us don't deal with the confusion of gender identity, but some do. Many of us don't deal with the confusion of same-sex attraction, but some do. And what the church has to do is we have to say to anyone who is dealing with same-sex attraction, anyone who is pulled in a direction that does not line up with God's Word, or anyone, heaven forbid, that is dealing with a war inside of them where the person that they feel that they are and the body that God has given them doesn't seem to match, what we say to them is that you are not damaged goods. You are loved by the God of heaven, and the cross of Christ is sufficient for your struggles, and he can take your confusion and lead you to a path of clarity and wholeness and healing. Instead of affirming the symptoms of sin, the church has to speak to the root of sin, which is the need for people to come under the lordship of Christ in every area. For some, it can mean immediate deliverance. For others, it can be a hard-fought battle. I know people who worship at Church at the Mill every week who love the Lord Jesus and who battle and fight against same-sex attraction. I know people in our community of faith who have dealt real difficultly with their gender identity, yet they are choosing to believe the Word of God above their feelings. And what they would tell you is that while some struggles never disappear, they are continually seeing victory in that matter. So it's not that we disown. It's not that we reject. It's not that we alienate or ostracize. It's that we go to the community who is confused, no matter what their confusion, and we say, we got two answers for you. Number one, we know where your confusion comes from. It's the result of the curse of sin, and we're all under it. Number two, we know the remedy for the curse of sin. There's a balm in Gilead. Jesus saves. He loves, he forgives, and he can give you an identity in him. So don't forget, a woman is an adult female made in the image of God. That's who she is physically. Statement number two, a woman spiritually is a sinner in need of salvation, which is fully available to her through faith in Christ. There's an old joke among preachers that on Mother's Day we worship mom and on Father's Day we crucify dad. 
You know, on Mother's Day, we come in and we love and we dote them. On Father's Day, we challenge men to step up and be the leader of their home. And I, I actually think there's a little bit of truth to that because it is just easy to honor those incredible people in our lives called mothers. It's easy to honor those who do so much for us. There are a certain number of you who did not have a healthy relationship with your mother. But even those of you who may have struggled to have a mother that loved you and nurtured you, you look around and you see hundreds of other examples. And the vast majority of you would say, Pastor, I'm one of those people who has a mother who loved me and nurtured me and cared for me. So it is easy to honor them. But in our honoring of womanhood, in our defense of womanhood, Ladies, I would remind you that you are no different than your male counterparts and that every one of us is born separated from God in our sin and in need of a Savior. It doesn't matter which party you vote for. It doesn't matter how righteous you live. It doesn't matter how many spring break trips you didn't go on. Every single person, every single person born of woman, and by the way, that's where people are born, from a woman, every single person is in need of a Savior. But here's the good news about Christianity. Christianity shares with, us, shares with us a gospel that does not differentiate in its application to men or women. In the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul says this, in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek. That obliterates the whole race issue. There's neither slave nor free. That obliterates the old socio-demographic classifications. And then he says, there's no male and female. Now, this is not a verse erasing gender. What Paul is saying is there's no grounds for discrimination. Any person who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So every woman on the earth, on the earth today is born a sinner in need of a Savior. This is why, theologically, we must defend womanhood. Because once we defend what a woman is, then we can share the gospel with women in a language that they understand, through the heart language of a mother who recognizes a Savior who cares for them. There is no population more under attack for their identity, for their appearance, than women. And so when we tell them the gospel is for them, when we celebrate the oneness in Christ, we remind our ladies in the church that there is no spiritual hierarchy based on gender. Wayne Gruden, a theologian, reminds us this in his study of womanhood. This is what he says. The Holy Spirit is equally given to both men and women. No man has more access to the Holy Spirit than any woman in the room who is saved. No pastor has more of the Holy Spirit or more of the Bible than any blood-bought child of God who identifies or who is identified as a woman. Also, women upon salvation are baptized into the same body of Christ. There's not a guy church and a girl church. There's not a male church and a female church. There isn't a male classification for spirituality or a female classification for spirituality. And then finally, both men and women receive spiritual gifts from the Spirit, and those are used in the life of the church. We can't imagine what Church at the Mill would be like without women in this congregation who not only have been saved by Christ, are following Christ, are gifted in Christ, and are being used by Christ, are leaders in Christ, and are making a difference in Christ. And so, spiritually, every woman in the world needs Jesus. 
Every woman in the world can have Christ upon faith and repentance. And every woman in the world is called and destined and gifted to be used by God in a mighty way. It is a heartbreaking thing to sit with a woman and feel and listen to her have such a low view of herself or her ability to be used by God, perhaps by abuse in her life, perhaps by the lack of affirmation of men or women in her upbringing. I don't know the reason. There are many But it is a wonderful thing to say to her, no matter where you've been, what you've done, no matter who your mama is, no matter who your dad is, no matter what you've struggled with, no matter how you may have been treated, the sinful world does not have the final say on your identity. When you come to faith in Jesus, you are fully forgiven, you're fully filled with his spirit, you're fully gifted, and you're fully expected to be used of God in a special way. So a woman is an adult female made in the image of God. Spiritually, she's in need of salvation. But then, of course, there is her gender. There is her sexuality. So thirdly, statement number three, a woman sexually is uniquely made to live in one of two lifestyles according to God's word. To live a life of singleness and celibacy, that means not sexually active, or to commit her life to a man in covenant marriage and express her sexuality in a monogamous relationship with him until death do them part. This has not moved, it has not changed. The standards of the culture and the society don't change the standards of God. And no matter what your life may have involved sexually, if you've ever looked into the eyes of a baby girl, you know this is what you want for her. This is the desire that God has for our lives. Now, when we think about understanding Christ and his word in relationship to our sexuality, we then have to recognize how God has uniquely gifted women in this matter. Some have overemphasized this issue. Our culture worships at the altar of sex. In fact, the community that I talked about earlier that seems to be fascinated with everything sexual has over-sexualized themselves. The problem with that is, is that they're asking sex to deliver on what it cannot deliver. Sex is pleasurable. It is good. Is it a gift of God? Yes. It's for procreation. Did you see the front of the stage a few moments ago? I can tell you how every one of them got here. (laughs) But everything in our lives is not sexual. Every relationship in our life is not sexual. In fact, biblically, there's one relationship that is sexual. The rest of our lives are filled with all kinds of other dynamics, but they're not sexual. Sex cannot deliver on your purpose for life, but when it fulfills its purpose in your life, it delivers great benefit to a man and woman in marriage. Now, when we think about this, we go back to Genesis. I had you open your Bible there. You can turn one page to chapter two and see how the Lord establishes marriage. So right out of the gates, first chapters of the Bible solve all of the issues that many struggle with so much. Therefore, chapter two, verse 24, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. There are little ears in the room. I want to be sensitive to that. But the oneness of flesh that is represented physically in intimacy is also represented emotionally in intimacy and spiritually in intimacy. 
meaning if you join your body with multiple people, you will find yourself emotionally and spiritually hurting. But if you join your body to one man in marriage, ladies, then you will find that the oneness God has created you for will be given to you in your relationship with him. The Bible also celebrates that part of female, woman, women, sexuality. In the Song of Songs, Solomon celebrated his bride. How beautiful is your love, my sister. Now, this is not Alabama, my sister. He didn't marry his sister. He's talking about her in the faith. He's saying, my sister in the faith, my bride, how much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice? If this was a men's conference, I would go even further in recognizing how thankful we are for the beauty of women, for the way God has placed them into our lives, has shaped their lives in our lives, and gifted them with their sexuality, which is to be expressed in covenant marriage. And this is what Solomon is celebrating. But the writer of Hebrews says, for those of you who are single women in the room, let the marriage bed be held in honor among all, not just husbands and wives, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God would judge the sexually immoral and adulterous, which means if you are a young woman yet to be married, if you are widowed, if you are divorced, if whatever reason God has you in a season of singleness, You are not, if you are committed to following Jesus, you are not to be sexually involved with another person, specifically another man. You are to save that part of your life for the covenant you are to make with a man in marriage. Now, the good news is, is that regardless of what your life has looked like, there are many who repent of sexual sin and begin again a life of celibacy before the Lord. You just can't say you're serious about following the Lord Jesus if you ignore his lordship over the sexual part of who you are as a woman. Those two things don't line up. Does it mean it's not a battle? Does it mean desires aren't deep? It doesn't mean you won't struggle and you won't need accountability and help from others, but it does mean there's no place to claim you're a deeply devoted follower of Jesus if you are holding back your sex life and not allowing the Lord to be the Lord over all of your life. Now, once you establish what a woman is physically, what a woman is spiritually, what a woman is sexually, you then begin to think about number four. A woman maternally is wonderfully designed to nurture as a mother. I take you back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, just two pages over. The man called his wife's name Eve. Why? Did you ever know why? Because she was the mother of all living. If you're in this room this morning, if you're watching online, you are a descendant of the first woman, the first mother. Now we know the Lord destroyed the earth and then the descendants of the earth came from the descendants of Eve who were in Noah's family. But all of us ultimately originated from one precious womb that God uniquely designed in the garden. Now when we think about motherhood, today is a very appropriate day to celebrate it. And when we celebrate motherhood, I think about a quote I read from a book called True Woman 101. Every normal woman is equipped to be a mother. Certainly not every woman in the world is destined to give birth. But motherhood, in a much deeper sense, is the essence of womanhood. Don't disconnect the two. The world would. 
The world would disconnect the two. Don't ever disconnect the two. The first woman's name affirms and celebrates the truth. Eve means life giver. I just showed you that. The book goes on to say in, in the next passage, God's purpose is that every woman, married or single, fertile or infertile, will bring forth life. Regardless of her marital status, occupation, or age, a woman's greatest aim ought to be to glorify God and further his kingdom by reproducing, bearing spiritual fruit. I remember hearing Dylan Mulvaney say in an interview he couldn't wait to be a mother. He'll have to wait. It can't happen. It can't happen. That's not how God has designed him. But that's how God has designed over half the room this morning. And let me just tell you that with the sexual revolution, which led to the homosexual revolution, which is now the transsexual revolution, there is an attack on what they call the traditional role of a woman leveraging her life to nurture and shape and craft the hearts of her children. Children by birth, children by foster, children by adoption, children by familial need, children. Ladies, don't take my word for it. Find our senior adult ladies in the room. We have some senior adult women in the room who have postgraduate degrees. Some have led large companies in our community. Others were stay-at-home moms. Doesn't matter. Go talk to them. Ask them in Christ what their greatest accomplishment was. And they will tell you that the thing that gave them the most fulfillment was crafting and raising the hearts of their children. Ladies, I want you to know that if you're raising children, you have a more influential platform than any pastor in any pulpit, no matter if he preached to hundreds or thousands. Your faith and your walk with Christ in front of your children gives them their very first understanding of what it means to follow the Lord God. Rejoice in the gift of motherhood. And then when you think about the church, number five, a woman missionally in Christ is expected and equipped to strengthen the church and make the gospel known. You are not an added bonus to make our congregation sweeter and kinder. You are vital to the mission of the church. Think about the Lord. A woman brought him into the world, Mary. And then some of the most strategic and important people in his ministry were Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sister, Mary Magdalene. When Lydia got saved, it sent reverberations through the city she lived in. Priscilla was so respected, her and her husband Aquila, that she mentored and taught Paul when he first got saved. Phoebe was so trusted by the apostle Paul, she probably delivered the letter that we have today known as Romans. Euodia and Sintiki, also pronounced Sintichi, labored beside Paul. And Eunice and Lois were the reason Paul said Timothy was saved and walking with the Lord. And so what we find is that it's not that they're allowed, it's that these women are strategic and important to the mission of the church. And that is your mission, which leads to the final statement, statement number six. A woman relationally is to bless other women and be respected, cherished, and protected by men. Ladies, your relationship with other women ought to be edifying. I have no grounds as your pastor to tell you there's ever a place in your life 
to tear down another woman. In fact, Paul said to Titus to tell the older women to be reverent, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine, and to teach what is good, so to train the young women to love their husbands and their children. There are women in this room listening to me preach who are 30 years old and younger, and I believe by God's grace I can help them and edify them as their pastor. But there is no there is no comparison to what can happen when an older woman speaks into their lives about the specificities and complexities of being a woman. There's just ground I cannot cover that they can cover. Every woman of God who is mature in this room ought to look around and ask the Holy Spirit to place on your heart that discouraged mother, that tired young woman, that teenage girl who's struggling with her mama, and begin to pour into her organically or systematically, but find a way to pour into other women. And then for those of us who have the privilege of celebrating women, well, Proverbs 31 is a great starting point. What does the proverbial writer say in the 30 and 31st verse? Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I thought all the praise belonged to God. It's not what the Bible says. Not worshiped. But she is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Ladies, we honor you for who you are. But men, I'm going to end with you. We have to not buy in to a worldview that is attempting to erase gender and therefore erase our role. Our role to our precious ladies, the women in our lives, is to respect cherish, honor, and protect. See, the world doesn't like that language because that assumes weakness. C can I just tell you what the Bible says? I'm going to quote the Bible. Peter said it this way, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of the life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So he says it's going to affect your relationship with God and they're equal to you in the kingdom. But you honor them as the weaker vessel. The world would do backflips over a passage like this. I care not. I have two daughters I'm raising. By God's grace, they are beautiful like their mother. They will be physically smaller and weaker than the men in their class and the boys they date, which probably won't happen, and the man they marry. They will be. They are not wired emotionally the my four sons are. They're not wired emotionally that way. They will do things that my sons will never do. I watched my wife lay on a table in a hospital and bring six people into the world. And when I saw it, I wanted no part of it. But the point is, is that there's some stuff God has not wired her to handle that he's wired me to handle. And one of the attacks on masculinity is that we've stopped calling men to protect and love and cherish women. There is no room in the scripture to allow this. And we are to cherish them. And by the way, I want to tell you something. I'm not an expert, but I want to tell you what ladies have told me. They are drawn to men who honor, respect, cherish, and protect them. They flourish in their giftedness when they are held up and celebrated for what God has given them, and they are covered by God's grace. And this is how God has wired us. This is why we say we are complementarian. The strengths and weaknesses of a man 
complement the strengths and weaknesses of a woman. And together in marriage or in the church, whether you're married or single, it allows you to fulfill your purpose. And those are the six statements to define what a woman is. You know what Jesus said? Jesus prayed just before his arrest. He said, Lord, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. May you be sanctified today by that word. Ladies, look at me. Look at me. Your maker doesn't make mistakes. He designed you as you are. Your Savior is enough, and your church loves you. Today, for an invitation, I'd like to invite every woman in the room, if you'd be so kind, just to stand. As you stand, I want to invite my wife to pray over your life and to tell you that she loves you and that you matter. And no matter what the world may do in its confusion and lostness, we don't leave angry. We're not upset at the world. We don't give ground on how God has created you. Guys, just look at the room. Can you imagine this room if every person standing walked out? Social services be called by Tuesday. We wouldn't know what to do. Ladies, we want to pray over your life. Would you bow your head with me? If you're hurting today and tired and confused, would you just hear these words? Your maker makes no mistakes. Stop measuring yourself by some Instagram version that isn't reality. Nobody cares if your pantry's organized. They care if you're praying with your children. Nobody cares about your body fat percentage. They care that you find your beauty in Christ. As you think about your life and your walk, you leave here today encouraged by the truth of God's Word. And you hear my sweet sister in the Lord and my wife pray over your life. Lord. Dear Father, we do thank you for the privilege of opening your word and hearing truth. God, I thank you that it is your truth um, that tells us as women that we are created in your image. God, in that in our unique roles, um, we reflect you. God, and I know that as we reflect you in our roles, that we can walk and live in freedom and that we can walk and live in fulfillment. Mm -hmm. So I just thank you for every woman and every young woman in this room. Lord, I, um, I thank you for their lives. I thank you for all that they do for so many people in their lives. God, I thank you for the grandmothers, for the mothers, for the daughters. I thank you for the aunts and the sisters and the friends. God, and because you have, in your sovereignty, because you uniquely designed us to fulfill so many roles, Lord, we need your strength and we need your grace. And so I just pray that you convict us to spend time every day with you. God, to spend time in your word. Help us to grow in our knowledge and in our understanding of who you are and who you have asked us to be. God, help us to apply what you teach us about who you are how we walk in wisdom. 
God, so I just pray that you give us wisdom as wives. God, I pray that you help us to love and serve our husbands well. God, help us to honor them. Give us wisdom and grace as mothers. God, help us to train our children in righteousness. Help us to be kind and patient. Help us to be gentle. Help us to be firm. Help us to guide them. Help us to teach them and show them how to love you. Help us to craft their hearts. God, I pray for the women who are not wives, who may not be mothers. God, you have given them a very important role to fill in so many people's lives. God, you allow them to love others. You allow them to serve others. You allow them the time to share and invest in many other people's lives. So I just pray that you give them the wisdom and the strength and the grace to do that in a way that honors you, in a way that reflects you. I just pray that you help each woman in this room to remember that she was created in your image. She was created with a purpose, God, that she is deeply loved by you. God, that you know her intimately, that you see her, that you're with her, and that you carry her through each day. Jesus, help our love for you to grow. Help us to reflect you in all we do and give us the strength and the grace to do that. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Let's love on our mothers. Give them a round of applause.